and welcome back to Identity Architects, the InfoSum podcast that spotlights the pioneers in the media industry who are changing the way that data is used to power richer customer experiences. I'm your host, Ben Chiketti, and for this episode, our VP of Client Services, Ben Chivers, sat down with Matt Hill, Director of Research and Planning at Thinkbox, to discuss the connected TV ecosystem, first-party data, the future of measurement, and much, much more. Before we jump into that conversation, just a reminder to hit that subscribe button so you know when the latest episodes of Identity Architects land. But without any further delay, here's Ben's chat with Matt. Matt, welcome. Thank you for joining us on the podcast today. Um, for anyone who doesn't know you, can you give a short introduction to yourself and to Thinkbox? Yeah, no problem at all, and um, thanks for uh, inviting me along. Uh, so yeah, my name is Matt Hill, I'm the Research and Planning Director uh, here at Thinkbox. So Thinkbox is the trade marketing body for TV. Um, we're funded by ITV, Channel 4 Sky, by UKTV, by a number of associate members um, around the world. And our, our, our mission, our ambition really is to help agencies, to help advertisers, to get the best out of TV. Uh, and so my job really is uh, is about uh, conducting lots of research into uh, the role TV plays uh, on the media plan, how it drives effectiveness for businesses, um, uh, understanding the changing nature of the viewing landscape and where TV fits in uh, to that today. Um, and then um, also we do a lot of work in terms of just getting this insight out into the hands of agencies, into advertisers. Uh, and we run a, a, a training course called the TV Masters. Uh, which 5,000 people in the industry have now completed. So just a little, a little plug for that uh, in the podcast. Awesome. Well, we'll definitely put the link in the, in the, in the bio. Um, we, so you're perfectly placed, really, to, to talk about measurement, and that's what we're here to talk about on Identity Art- Architects this, this session. Before we get into, into all the details, uh, detailed questions, I've got a few quick-fire questions just for people to, to get to know you and get to know the, uh, the, the man behind Thinkbox uh, a little bit better. So if we'll jump straight into these, these quick-fire questions now. So first of all, what's your earliest memory of TV and advertising? Yeah, so... Um... Uh, so I'm 40, 46, so uh, this is, many people similar age will, will be remembering the same stuff to me, but it would have been for TV, uh, the, sort of the BBC uh, kids programme, so Mr. Ben, um, the likes of Willow the Wisp, Pigeon Street, uh, definitely the shows that I, I remember sort of being my earliest memory of TV watching, but the stuff that really captured my imagination was when I just discovered Night Rider one day, completely by accident and it was just the most amazing thing I've ever seen um, and uh, I think I fell in love with TV um, through through shows like that uh, in, in terms of advertising I think the, the the earliest memory stuff would be the serials they just did such a good job of, of marketing and with with jingles and with the ad campaigns so Tony the Tiger and uh, you know Coco Pops um, uh, the, the, the Sugar Monster you know all that kind of ads and I think those are uh, a lot of people my age can still, you know, we can recount the jingles to this day, so they were they were pretty effective. But uh, not allowed to be played in TV, in children's TV anymore. No, uh, it, those those days are gone. <laughs> For a time, they were highly effective. And and what? So jumping forward a little bit from the the Tony the Tiger days, but what was your your first job in TV or advertising? Yeah, well, I, I, I lucked my way really into the TV industry. I, um, uh, I, I came out of university with a degree in biology, so completely not, you know, not related in any way to, to TV, to media, um, to business. Um, and um, I just got a job which was uh, a, a temp job where I was uh, working for a small company that um, uh, conducted research for independent production companies. And they used to use barb data and they used to code a load of additional data onto it. So... My, my first job was actually watching were watching TV programs and coding the end credits of shows uh, into into a database and I spent a good six months uh, six months doing that so uh, but it was it was a really really unique and lucky introduction into the world of TV because um, uh, it was a small company and I think small companies are a great place to start because you get this kind of uh, can do kind of anything anything you want to do any ideas you've got just go ahead and make it happen um, but also, I worked with a ro- load of really, really smart people. There were consultants there who were, you know, working with the likes of 
the BBC uh, and Ofcom and independent production companies. And, and I, I guess I, I learned my trade from them and I, I, I stole their ideas and, and took them with me. Awesome. And, and what would you say to yourself, at the, at knowing what you know now, what would you say to yourself just starting out your career in that, in that first job? Yeah, well, I think, I think to a certain degree, when I got my first job in London, I was working in a um, uh, sort of research team within um, a company called Flextech TV, which used to own like sort of, sort of Living TV, Bravo, Trouble, Challenge. And um, I was in a, in, in a research team that um, uh, kind of was a very much a service department. Um, and it was about you know servicing the, the the programming teams who were the sort of the, the heroes and the champions. Oh. I probably I probably say to myself that um, you know don't don't underestimate the value of research. Don't underestimate the importance of uh, of how data can change the direction the business goes in and, and how critical it is. And um, you know just be be more confident in the role that you can play in driving the business forward. And that you're, you're not a service function. You are. Uh, something that can actually be a, a a real driver of success, and that uh, you belong at the the heart of the business. Because I think it's probably easy in some of these roles to think, oh, you know, we're not as important as that those team over there because they're they're doing this exciting <laughs> stuff. And um, I, I think it's uh, I, I'd probably just have a word myself and say, you know, just just believe in yourself, go go and go and make a difference. I think believing in yourself is solid advice for anyone starting a career, really. Yeah, we, we struggle with it, don't we? I think most people are having imposter syndrome, don't they? And uh, uh, I think, yeah, the belief is is the most powerful thing. And j- jumping forward again to to your role at Thinkbox, like what do you what do you love about your role at the moment? Um, there's you know there's very little not to love working at Thinkbox. It's a fantastic company. It's a it's an incredible team of people. Uh, again, it's a small company, I've, and I found uh, I've worked in some sort of you know medium sized companies and. Uh, you know, coming back to working for a small company, I absolutely love the dynamics of it. Are are, are really really good, um, and so the thing the things I really love about this job is is its TV, and I've got the whole of TV as my playground. So uh, I worked for Channel Five for a number of years, and moved from Channel Five to Thinkbox, and moving to a world where you're you're kind of sort of representing one channel to to representing every single channel and everything that it uh, that it offers, from World Cup football to incredible drama to uh, brilliant reality shows to news current affairs it's just um uh, it gives you this incredible playing field to uh, to, to utilize um and then i think the other thing that's that's that I want, is really lucky about what i do is that it always changes we you know we, we we're never doing the same thing twice we're we're trying to evolve as we go along the industry's evolving um all our projects evolve uh, as we as, as we move forward so every day is different so it's a brilliant team. It's a really exciting and interesting industry. Um, TV is uh, is, a, is a magical thing, industry to work within. Um, and um, yeah, it's a, it's a lovely place to work. Awesome. Thank you. And okay, so I've asked this question a couple of times uh, in uh, interviews recently, and also we it's a, it's a standard one that we ask in the, in the Identity Architects podcast. But we're within advertising we're we're becoming obsessed with the concept of identity so if we were to have a, a 10 year old here how would you describe the concept of identity to them do you know this, I've, I've read this one before and i really struggled with it <laughs> it's, it's really hard uh, and um, i've got um i've got two boys one's one's 13 one's 11 and both of them you know do uh, to crop up with these sort of questions and you've got you've got to try and answer them so uh, if my if my youngest asked me what what identity is, what would I say? I'd probably say it it, it is your your unique self. It is what makes you an individual, um, and it's often thought of in terms of your uh, your unique characteristics. So it could be your full name, it could be your your address, uh, but it's it's what makes you unique in the world. Would be my best way of trying yeah. to um, to answer that question, but I, I really struggle with it. Good, good answer. I mean, I've heard, um, most recently I heard it described as a fingerprint, which would, uh, again goes into your unique identifier side of things. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a nice way of doing it. So your yeah, if your your fingerprint could be your uh, part of your identity, uh, like. Um, sticking with the the definition themes, how would you describe uh, CTV, and and would you say this is a an agency buzzword at the moment? Yeah, I, I probably would. I think it's um that we. We struggle with this as an industry, uh, in uh, in that uh, there's new terminology that 
gets used and and we don't have you know there isn't there isn't one it's not like the legal industry where there's a, a process for for definitions and terms and so in 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 media we've all got definitions and terms and they all mean completely different things um so uh, look dtv it means connected television uh, so it's a television that's connected to the internet um and therefore it's uh, has the ability to to deliver live streamed content uh, video on demand content um and provides users with you know choice and control over over what they watch um but i think it, you know it can be used as a um alternative way of describing uh avod or um to sort of advertise a fronted board or um it, it, fast channels or um it, it gets into this sort of melting pot of uh, of, of terms so it's um i think it's just um it really connected tv is is a it, is a delivery mechanic for for internet delivered content perfect cool thank you and um what what keeps you awake at night then uh yeah well yeah, probably the same thing that most that keeps most people awake at night. I think um, uh, we all have that struggle, don't we? Where at, uh, you know your brain decides at three three o'clock in the morning is the best time to solve you know a problem you've got with a project um, or how you're going to tackle a difficult conversation. Um, so I you know there's nothing in particular that I would say uh, you know continuously worries me. I'd say I'm the probably the same as most people in that. Um, it, my, you know, my my brain's always sort of ticking over and and thinking about things, and unfortunately, three o'clock in the morning seems to be its favourite point to really get into the detail. Uh, but it's also a, a really useless point because everything's everything's so much worse, isn't it? Three o'clock in the morning, and um, you sort of quite often you'd be worried about something, and you wake up the next day, and uh, and you go, "Why the hell was I worrying about that?" I even do this thing, and I, I don't know if you do it, Ben, but. I have um, I have these like arguments with people that are never going to happen, but it's like I end up like having this sort of theoretical argument, and I'll be going through the process, and I sort of wake up next going, what, what the earth was that about? And it's just mad, isn't it? How your how your brain works. My my wife has woken up in a bad mood with me because she had an argument with me in their dream in her dream. <laughs> yeah, I get that. I have no idea what she's. Yeah. she's you know, you've done something wrong in a dream, and you're still yeah, yeah you're being punished for it throughout the day. It's not fair. And 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 what in, what inspires you? Um, you know, I'm I'm inspired by a lot of things. I'm inspired. I love working. Uh, I love working in teams. We had an away day recently, and it's um, it, it always amazes me how brilliant everyone is and how many brilliant ideas people can come up with. And I'm so that that inspires me. I love chatting to advertisers um, and understanding, you know, speaking to them about their problems and their challenges. Um, because it's just that first-hand conversation is 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 vital, um, but I suppose you know just TV inspires me. Watching uh, you know watching things on um, uh, on TV can 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 be really really you know put your uh, goosebumps up, can't they? And uh, I was watching the cricket the other day, and I, I caught the end of the cricket on on Monday, and um, Stuart Broads you know just going out in in that way. How inspiring is is that? And um, uh, so it's stuff stuff like that I think um, is what sort of kicks you up and makes you realise what's possible. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Would you would you say then sport on TV is like the the pinnacle of a, of TV itself? Then yeah, I, I, mean, I think it inspires you in different ways. So I remember that it, like when um, uh, when Channel Four had One Born Every Minute, the number of people who applied to be midwives went through the roof. So TV can inspire in, in, in a number of different ways. And I think I was, I was watching, uh, what was it? It was Lip, Lipchenko on uh, the drama on ITV um, and about the sort of dogged police work that went into to sort of solving that crime and how hard you see you sort of it's depicted in terms of how hard they're, they're working to crack this case. And you think kind of, you don't, I don't think anyone thinks about this kind of as, um, uh, as explicitly as I would, but you have sort of such admiration for the police force and their work. You sort of go, you know, we're, as taxpayers, we pay for that. We're paying for that. That's it's 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 funding this incredible, important work. And so, and I think TV can do that, can't it? It can bring to the surface things that you wouldn't necessarily think about, and it can um, uh, it can uh, you know make you value things that you wouldn't necessarily 
normally normally valued. So I think TV is a, a source of uh, inspiration in, in many different ways. Interesting. Yeah, I've never thought of it like that either. Cool. Final question in the quick fire round then. So um, if you had a song, a song for the soundtrack of your life, what would it be? So um, this is the question where I was going, I really don't know. Uh, so, uh, but I decided it would have to be uh, a song by Daft Punk called TV Rules the Nation because uh, <laughs> because it's the only thing when I Googled that seemed <laughs> like it could vaguely fit against uh, my life and my work life and, and what I do. Um, it's it's not a great song. Uh, I wouldn't go and uh, spend too much time listening. It literally, it is that repeating itself over and over again, TV Rules the Nation, to, to a funky beat. But uh, maybe maybe go and check it out. Is that the song that comes on when you walk into Thinkbox every day? Exactly, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we got it playing on the loop throughout the day in the offices. Cool. Okay, so now we get on to the, the, the more topic-related questions around, around measurement and, and TV in a bit more detail. So um, first-party data has started to become an integral part of marketing strategies and the way that broadcasters uh, use personal data as well. What would you recommend to, to brands, um, uh, media owners, and, and to, to get prepared to use data in this way? I'm, I'm not necessarily personally particularly uh, an expert in, in, in big data, um, but I think the, the experience I, I have had through uh, projects that I've, that I've worked on um, where we have, have got into using, uh, using you know, proper big census level return path data and registration data etc um and so for for any any businesses that are starting out on the journey i can't stress enough the importance of having clean data um and um uh the this kind of data because it is so huge um it does get messy it is inconsistent it is incomplete um people you know if itself uh, something that people have filled in themselves you cannot uh, you know rely that they filled it in in the way that they, they they should have done and so probably job number one is to invest time resource in cleaning that data set getting it into uh, a good place otherwise if you don't do that you'll get to a point where you want to use it for something uh, and it's going to take you a year to get it ready um, uh, before you're actually able to uh, able to use it, so I, I think trying to start and making sure you've got a, 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 as clean as possible set of data with this kind of data uh, is is critical. Um, and then I think the other side of it really is the legal side, and have your legal sorted out, have your T's and C's sorted out, um, and have a good understanding of what you'd like to use that data for, and that you've got the right permissions to 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 use that data in uh, in that way. Uh, so if you're starting out the journey, so those would be the two things really that I'd, uh, I'd focus on. Got it. And just diving into the what you're saying about cleaning data in a little bit more detail then. So how would you, how what, th- what are the things to sort of, the brands need to be aware of to say, okay, my data isn't clean enough or what do I need to do to make sure it's up to the certain standard? Do you have any kind of recommendations there? Well, again, I'm probably not the best person to, 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 to ask on this, but I think it's you're you're going to have sets of data that are the complete and are quite good and are quite clean and then you're going to have sets of data where you've got missing uh, missing fields uh, and and missing elements and really um it's about trying to as much as possible fill in the gaps where there are where there are gaps uh, and you might so it, it might be possible it might not be possible i think where it's not possible you probably want to separate that out and throw it away so that it's it, it's not causing you know it gives you a realistic idea of the actual you know the, the, the volume of quality data that you are that you are sitting on because without that you may be just fooling yourself in terms of thinking yeah. you've got massive data set when you, you haven't really makes sense makes sense okay so and shifting gears a little bit then so what are the challenges uh, do you see in the industry in terms of legislation uh, and the shift towards more privacy uh, privacy focused advertising um yeah i think there's the, there's the big things that are going on in terms of um, uh, data legislation is, uh, is obviously been the impact of GDPR, um, uh, uh, but uh, probably what's what's coming is going to be the impact of this the sort of the cookieless world and the change uh, in the way that um, the likes of Apple and, and Google are going to be treating data and uh, allowing 
um, uh, allowing uh, you to track uh, users across uh, uh, across and within their environments. So I think um, both of these things lean towards having have your own first first party data to to use. And I think the media owners that are sitting on the biggest volumes of first party data are in a good position. Um, and our party would say that because the broadcasters are sitting on a lot of high quality first party data. Um, but it, it, what that does mean uh, is, again, once, as long as a meter owner um, has got their legal set up uh, correctly, they understand uh, what permissions they have got and what they can do with that data, and they're keeping a clean set of data, they're going to be in a really, really good place uh, to enable advertisers to um, continue um, or probably less that's about continuing more about to get the most out of all the promises that the the online world offers in terms of being able to to target uh, individual users using that data and increase the the efficiency and the overall effectiveness of their their advertising campaigns. So I, th I think first party data is, is is it's more and more critical in today's world, isn't it? Do you, and do you think broadcasters know when the when the death of cookies finally happens then? That their the value of their the first party data they're sitting on is going to go through the roof. Uh, yeah, I think I think they know that they're that it's a strength of theirs, and they've. You know, but but for years they've been investing in the technology to to you know take advantage of this. Everything that Sky's been doing with AdSmart, everything that uh, ITV's been doing with uh, in terms of building Planet B, um, they're having conversations as we've seen from the news recently that Sky's Sky's joined. Planet B, and um, that's facilitating um, uh, a way in which you know, advertised agencies can more easily buy scalable solutions across more than one uh, more than one broadcaster. Uh, Channel Four have uh, been doing a huge amount of work with their uh, with their data in terms of offering uh, data matching solutions, which uh, you guys will be all across because you're you're the machine, the the tech platform that helps helps provide uh, that facilitates that. So. Um, uh, I, yeah, absolutely. They they're aware of the broadcasters are very much aware of the strength of first party data, uh, and they've been invested in building the technology that's going to allow them to to make use of it. And I think we're we're still quite at the beginning of a lot, a lot of this stuff. I think yeah. it, it's still quite novel. It's still um, uh, it still requires quite a lot of effort uh, and and work. But I think we're getting through a lot of those barriers. And for the for the brands that are starting to um, uh, the experiment with this opportunity are going to be the ones that are ahead of the game because they're going to have a lot of the setup in place. They're going to realise how to use it. They're going to realise how we can take advantage of it. They're going to see what works, what doesn't work. Um, and so uh, I would I would encourage brands to engage with the broadcaster and say, look, I've got this data. You've got this data. What you know? Can we can we have some conversations and see what we could potentially do? Because brands are very much aware that some of the their usual tactics and the, the usual approaches that they, uh, they've been um, uh, utilising to, to try and sort of target it um, are, are not going necessarily going to be there in a couple of years. Interesting. So you, you recently spoke at our Info Summit in London, um, which was the focus of that was on measurement. Um, what do you see as some of the, the challenges on measurement and, and what are the limitations there? So only... The challenges around measurement really are um, stem from the the fragmentation that we've seen in the media landscape. So uh, it was it was very not not very easy, but it was easier uh, twenty years ago when there were were only um, you know uh, a number a smaller number of channels, um, uh, and it was all delivered linear. Everybody. Uh, all viewers were seeing the same content and the same ads, and so um, it was relatively easy for a, uh, a panel-based system such as Barb to be able to measure audiences, measure reach and frequency, and provide the data that advertisers needed. And as as media is fragmented, um, audiences have become smaller, um, and that makes panel-based measurement um, not uh, not fit for purpose on its own. Um, and so we need to start incorporating the return path data, the census level measurement that we're getting through uh, the content that's delivered online. Um, uh, but we need to combine that with panel data to, to understand the who, because the, the census level data is great. Uh, it gives you a, a 
high level of granularity. It's not very good at uh, giving you information on who, um, because it's, it's obviously it's machine data as opposed to people data. So we're we're moving into this place where basically the world has got more complicated, and the tools that we used to measure audiences um, uh, have lost their their power and their their, their ability to do that accurately. Um, and so we're now moving to this world where we have to start putting the two of these things um, together to find find the, the best solutions. So those, those really are some of the, the fundamental challenges with with measurement. How how do you see, and you might not have the answer to this because this might be the million dollar question, but how do you see those two worlds combining where you've got panel, which is a small sample size with the digital world, which is almost inf- like complete worldview, how do you see them fitting together, and is there is there is there a solution out there that does that? Yeah, well, uh, Barb have already made quite um, good inroads into um, uh, you know finding these kind of solutions. So they they collect the data from the broadcasters uh, in terms of the amount of uh, views that have been generated by their return path data to their individual content strands. So that gives them a the, the volume um, of uh, of viewing that's going on to to individual titles. Um, and then they can use their their panel data to start providing an idea of who those audiences are, what their profile is, what age they are, where they live. Um, so so um, there are, you know, we're already using this kind of um, the, uh, this kind of, sort of technologies together uh, in order to 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 get the best picture of what's going on in the world of TV. Um, I think it, it's. Um, uh, it's now just sort of moving beyond that. There's lots of conversations going on around what um, what we could do to to broaden Barb's remit. Um, so uh, they've uh, Netflix are now a part of Barb. Uh, Disney Plus is. Um, I think they're having conversations with the likes of uh, of Amazon. So we're we're broadening out the world. And again, that will um, hopefully in time we'll be able to do something similar where they're sharing sort of return path data and mixing it with the bar panel data to provide the, the most accurate view. So um, uh, yeah, I think I think it's going to be about mixing these two worlds together to to give us the the best uh, best solutions in terms of measurement. And do you do you see eventually then that Barb would bring on more and more content providers, the likes of like maybe short form stuff like YouTube and more and more the sort of lower end of the funnel stuff like the, you mentioned around fragmentation but is the solution then that, that barb just bring keep bringing on more and more of those those content owners yeah i think they they, they already measure youtube um across their panels so they have um uh, they have router uh, meters which basically measure the internet traffic within their uh, across their sort of six thousand homes um and so they can tell when somebody is uh watching watching youtube uh, within the home, they don't know about out of home. Yeah, so they they can provide pretty good estimates from that way. What they can't necessarily do is get the detail of what's being watched. Uh, and I think Barbara having uh, conversations with with YouTube about you know what they what they should measure and what they shouldn't measure. Um, and there's um, uh, there's lots of conversations of uh, around what what's TV like and what isn't TV like. What you know what qualifies as being yeah. a, a Giving you that assurance that it's, it's TV-like content and it's brand safe and it's it's um, uh, that the advertisement is appearing is, is appearing content that's good enough quality for advertisers to say yeah that's you know this is TV-like content. Um, so it's it, this is becoming less of a debate around technical measurement challenges and more a, a debate around um, philosophical, yeah. uh, sort of environmental, political views on what constitutes as the uh, you know, a like-for-like environment. Awesome. So we we mentioned around fragmentation there, so diving into that in a little bit more detail. So what do you what do you see the major differences between TV, radio, out of home print and, and the online media in terms of in terms of measurement? So I think the um, so from campaign measurement uh, and you talk about we can talk about sort of two different areas. One is about measuring how many people have been exposed to the campaign and then the other element is is measuring what the outcome of that campaign is. So what's been the impact of that cam- campaign in terms of my my marketing objectives? Uh, and um, so the media that work indirectly um, or are only measured indirectly, like out of home, like TV, like radio, like the, the print, um, it's always been a, a from an outcomes 
point of view, it's always been more of a challenge to to be able to measure the impact that those those channels are having on uh, on the campaign's performance. And so we tend to use techniques such as econometric modelling um, uh, to 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 understand the the sales that are being generated uh, as a result of using those channels. Um, and to a certain degree, it's been possible to use basic attribution modelling where you can look at at the same point the TV spots airing, how many people are going directly to the website within, you know, a, a minute or so of that that TV ad airing. Um, what we do know is that that kind of attribution modelling is only capturing a really really small proportion of the overall impact of the TV campaign because most of the time when people see TV ads, they're watching a program and they're not going to go and disappear off to a website and it can have a, a you know a delayed response working working more over time. Um, obviously, with with online channels, um, you know, in particular, likes of search, the, the likes of uh, the social media, they've used um, attribution modelling because there is this return path data set, so they can say, "Here's somebody who saw your ad." Oh, and we now know that they did go on and click through, or went to the site, or they behaved in this way. Um, and I think that that type of data has been um, been really. Um, really used by advertisers as a way of demonstrating the value of those channels to their to their sort of financial teams. And I think the financial teams quite like that because they've got a bit of paper that says, I've signed a check and this is the amount of sales that, I, that I've generated. Um, the problem with it is that a lot of the time, it's not really taking uh, into account all the other factors that would have driven that sale and the, the, all the credit ends up going to the search advertising, whereas in fact, the TV was, was doing a really important job of driving the brand uh, trust and credibility. And, and the, the, they too heard some radio ads or seen print ads that had also influenced them to, to, um, to click on that ad. So um, if anything, that's been oversold in terms of the, its ability to uh, really tell you the you know how effective that particular channel has has been as like overstated the importance of so, uh, social and the importance of search um so i think we um as, a, as an industry actually we're and again this is partly down to the changes that the likes of apple and and google are making in terms of your ability to track that kind of data everyone's moving towards a more sensible approach to um to understanding outcome based uh, uh, based results uh, by using better data. So econometrics, I think, is in a, a really interesting place. Uh, but um, I think um, there's there's more that can be done, uh, and the broadcasters are, are looking into this in which in how they can they can really work with advertisers to help them understand the outcomes of their campaigns. And and the best way to do this, and I think that pretty much everyone's in agreement with it, is is by having con uh, you know A/B tests. Proper, proper having a proper control uh, and a test group uh, that whereby you can get you know a certain group can be exposed to to a campaign um, a, an equivalent like for like group who are just as likely to buy the product or a, a similar dem demography to the um, uh, to the exposed group are, are are sectioned out and they're not exposed and then you can start to get a read on how effective that campaign was and I know that's that sort of marries up to some of the stuff that you guys are doing at, um, at Infosum. Yeah, absolutely. And do you, do you think that would would multi-touch attribution still need to be taken into consideration then? Because even with the, that test and control group you're describing there, you're still going to have outside influences that could be like the weather or it could be like if you saw an ad on, on another platform. How do, you, how do you kind of take those out of the equation when you're doing that clear A-B testing? Well, I think, so ITV are doing quite a lot of work with um, their potential in terms of the regions uh, that, they, that they've got. Um, uh, and so what they're, what they're doing is to be able to create two, two groups uh, which are, which are as, as like for like as, as possible. Um, and um, through that, you can get the best possible read in terms of, uh, of the effect of the exposed versus no exposed on a fair basis. Now, I think in terms of things outside of your control, like uh, like I don't know, slightly different weather patterns um, uh, or uh, different ad exposure, uh, there probably are some things that you'd you, you'd ideally want to be able to to factor for within within the overall model. But I think we, you're probably getting to a, a cleaner place 
with a, with a proper A/B test than you would normally be able to get just with uh, econometric modelling. Got it. So whatever, even if you start just with A/B testing right now, it's better than what you're doing at the moment. I expect so. Yeah, I, th- I think um, I think it's it's very hard to get a perfect um, uh, measurement capability, but I think we get into a place where we get getting a much better measurement capability than we have had in the past. And and what do you what are you doing at Thinkbox then to help brands broadcasters on that journey and, and the recommendations you're you're making there to help them get to that point where they can do proper measurement? Yeah, I think um, we do a lot of work um, with um, the likes of uh, the IPA. They've got a program called Effectiveness Week, um, and um, uh, we we sponsor this program and uh, we help. Um, uh, Help sort of guide the uh, the overall event structure and what they're going to be sort of discussing. And they've got they've got some really great programs that you can uh, take part in, which uh, advertisers can can lean on to understand how they should embrace a more you know a more sophisticated effectiveness culture within their business. And and I think effectiveness understanding the effectiveness of advertising is not a sort of single step process. It's not just about um, okay, well, let's work with this this uh, this this in order to tell us how our advertisers are working. It's about having a a mentality across the business, uh, which is all the way through from designing your um, your campaigns uh, and your media plan and your advertising strategy with with a, with effectiveness being the end goal and with measurement framework set up in place from the start through to the finish and that everybody in the organization is buying into this approach because quite often what we see is that you still end up with siloed businesses where um uh, you might you know uh, as a marketer might turn up with a bit of evidence um that suggests you know I've, here's the read i've got in terms of what's been driving success but it's not bought into by the rest of the business um so i think it's um that that kind of work is really important in helping uh, businesses get the right structure in place in order to um, to be able to have a, a proper effectiveness framework and be willing to go down the road and do some tests, you know, test and learn to, to find out what works and what doesn't work. So you're, you're saying there that if effectiveness is the goal, measurement is the journey you're going to go on and it's net, you're never going to say, yes, I've done measurement, tick. It's going to be an iterative process you're going to go through again and again to refine what your effectiveness of, of advertising I think so. Yeah, I think it's it's more of a it's a, it's a culture. It's so it's a it's a part of the overall strategy as opposed to a sort of tactic that you you bolt on to the end of a um, a, a campaign. And and in terms of like going on that journey and helping clients go, go go down that route, what technologies do you see in the market at the moment that are really exciting? They're helping change the way um, change the way clients uh, utilize measurement. Well. I, and I promise I'm not being paid to say this because I'm on in for some podcast. But yeah, I think um, the, the the idea of um, or the potential from data bunkers I think is really interesting because it allows advertisers to uh, be able to share data um, uh, in a way that means they're not having to give their own data away. Uh, and I think again, I mean, you'd be able to talk more about this, but it, it, one of the the key advantages is that once you're in and you've got your legal set up, then it, you've got a bit more freedom to be able to to, to play, to test and learn, um, to experiment um, in a way that would be just too time consuming if you were doing it, um, uh, if, if you were trying to set it up from scratch every every single time. So I think um, the, the, you know, the, the fact that you're, we've got, you've, you've where you've got a number of businesses that are already sharing data. So let's talk about, you know, some of the people on, on your platform, the likes of um, uh, Nectar or um, uh, Advantage Card data, the broadcaster data, you've got data from, from Samsung in terms of um, uh, what, what they're seeing people are, are watching. You could start to get to a place where you could, you could do some really interesting test and learn experiments saying right who's been exposed who hasn't been exposed how's this campaign worked well let's let's just expose this group um, of potential customers based on these characteristics and see see how it works so i think i think that's a really interesting um uh, opportunity 
for for brands to, to to engage with and start to to build an understanding on a on a small scale at low relative low risk of what might potentially work, um, so that they can then scale it up uh, and um, and do so with more confidence um, across the business that they they you know they know what they're doing and they know they they're going to see a return. Thank thank you for the lovely plug. <laughs> You're welcome. And and. Um, what do you what do you see is still missing then? If if you've got the Inversum platform allowing you to to combine those data sets and bring in data from the likes of Dunhambi Nectar Boots with the broadcast data and brand data, what do you if you had a magic wand, what would you say is like okay to help take clients on this measurement journey that we're on to help them with that test and learn strategy? What would be a great new tool to have in place? Well, I, no, I think it's it's the the magic wand would be about just making it really easy. Um, taking away all the complexity and making it so that everything was available in one place. So you could buy the whole of TV uh, and you could buy it using the same data, uh, data sets. Um, so it was, it was, you know, if it, let's say everything was in one place, it was completely unified um, and um, you could attach, uh, let's say, I don't know, you used Experian data or it's a, there was a certain type of data you, you wanted to use and that was available across all parties. I think, uh, and you, there was a simple interface where all the legals were done, uh, where you could just go go and, and buy and test and, and play at small scale in a simple way. You know, everyone would be doing it all the time, right? I think it's, the, the problem is that setting it up in the first place can be quite time consuming. It can be, um, it, you've got a lot of internal work to do with your own sort of legal teams. There is um, hoops that you have to sort of jump through and, and to check. So I think it's just pain that we're going to have to go through um, um, over the next five to five to ten years. Uh, but if if we go through that, we've got to remember we're travelling to a place where, as an industry, the, the the volume of TV that's going to be IP delivered is going to massively ramp up. Um, and so, in let's say you know five ten years, this is going to be even more important. Uh, and you probably want to be in a place as a business where um, you've got a good idea of how to use it and you've got a lot of the the initial groundwork done so that you can then really properly take advantage of it and you're not uh, you know you know suddenly trying to play catch up you you, you mentioned around uh advantage card data and nectar and dunhambi data it seems like ctv and retail media are converging right now and have been for the last six to nine months. But why do you see there being such high synergy between those two industries? And, and what do you expect to see over the next 12 to 18 months? Um, so I've got a slightly different definition of retail media. So I think you talk about retail media. I think retail media as being media um, it, within a store. So like you've got a TV in a store or you've got, you've got out of home placements or, um, uh, or, or even uh, you know retail media being Amazon sponsored uh, top links. Um, I, I think so. When you talk about retail media, do you mean um, sort of the data that they're sitting on in terms of um, what people are buying? Uh, yeah, and, and being able to 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 target um, I don't know people who don't currently buy your product or are, are light buyers, etc. Is that is that what you mean? Yeah, I, I guess. A, a... Defining retail media would be a good, a good yeah. so I, I, I kind of see retail media as being a, a new revenue stream for, for retailers, whether that's advertising within the, uh, the shops themselves, like you've just been talking about, or monetizing their data to give deeper insights for, uh, for like, uh, brands out there. So using that data to show attribution for measurement, using it for targeting and, and, th- and things like that. So it's, it's the, the new revenue streams that retailers have exposed uh, have exposed their fingertips right now, and with the InfoSum platform, we're allowing like brands to use that data to target in a privacy safe way. Yeah, so I think the um, I think with the with the, the actual sort of media media side of things, there's there's probably you know really good opportunities to run synergistic campaigns across you know across TV and within store, so that you know you're not you got um, in the same way that you want to have the same creative strategy running across out of home and TV, you'd want to have the same creative strategy within uh, within store as well. Um, and we often see that with, you know, partnerships like the McVitie's Britain's Got Talent um, uh, sponsorship they had in store. 
um, that, you know, promotions relating to, relating to Britain's Got Talent. So I think, I think that's, that's a fairly sort of one-on-one from a strategy yeah. point of view. Uh, in terms of the data side of things, um, it, it really, uh, you know, F, FMCG, as we know, is one of the, um, is, a, is one of the most challenging sectors in terms of return on investment. So it's a long burn. Um, it, um, uh, you don't get your money back in the short term for, for FMCG market, marketing uh, as, a, as a general rule. Um, but you do get your money back because consumer behavior is pretty routine. So once somebody's, you know, started buying your product, they generally carry on buying it for, for a number of years. And that's where you see the return. And that's why um, uh, for, for FMCG brands, um, they very much live by the sort of Byron Sharp rule book of mental availability and um, reach being the most important uh, aspect. But um, what I think is really interesting with this kind of data is is the ability to be a little bit more clever with with some of your tactical campaigns um, and uh, to do some uh, really rich you know segmentation work, um, customer targeting, um, trying to find those lighter buyers or non-buyers, um, and be be much more tactical and possibly more efficient with your your uh, your media use and that that, that retailer uh, census level first party data matched with the broadcasters first party data gives you um, a really neat ability to do that and I, I think you guys are probably sitting on some nice case studies of, of seeing that actually in, in practice. I suppose that plays really nicely into what you we were discussing earlier around the, the death of cookies first party data being key if you're a brand that doesn't have that first party data retailers are the next best place to go to Absolutely, yeah. So the retailers are sitting on the data that you need in order to, because because you're not the person that is is, is sitting on that first party data. Exactly. And, yeah. And then in turn, that helps you with the the test and learn strategy that we we're talking about. So then you can see the effects of your marketing spend on any of the the digital channels. You can then actually see the effects of it with with the retailers where they're at the point of sale. Exactly. Yeah. So you're getting the, getting all the data really within one place that you need to. To, to build this sort of effectiveness framework that we were we were talking about before. Perfect. And so getting the magic ball out now, what would you see as the prediction for the for the future in terms of data collaboration, privacy measurement? Where do you see the industry in the next uh, five? I'm not I'm not even going to say ten years because it's, it changes so so much. Where uh, where would you see things going in the next five years, and, and what would be the most exciting developments? Well, I think. Um, the thing is with predictions is that the only thing you can guarantee is that you're going to be wrong. Um, but um, uh, I, I would say next, you know, in five years time, TV is going to be a very different place. It's going to be, uh, uh, you know, we've seen the likes of Sky Glass, which um, is just delivering, you know, completely IP delivered uh, TV. So I think, you know, we could well, well find ourselves in a place where, the vast majority of, of TV advertising is being delivered via the internet, um, which gives a, a, a you know a huge amount of scale for um, a much more sort of tactical targeted um, uh, uh, activity. Um, and so this is obviously just going to become more and more and more important. That's not to, for me saying that that we're going to lose you know the importance of driving mass reach and scale and getting everyone to see your ads with all consistent communication. I think that will, that will live for a long, long time. Uh, but what I, what I do see is that in five years time, the TV is going to be in a really, really interesting place in bringing together the best of both worlds. So the, the, by the best of both worlds, I mean, it, it's the, the ability of TV to um, tell an engaging story, um, uh, you know, across 30, 60 seconds of, of airtime uh, in an environment that's trusted uh, and, and respected uh, in, a, in people's favorite content, um, alongside all the, the, the targeting capability that, that the online world brings. And, um, you know, I think online has been promising um, for years and years these, the, these efficiencies uh, and this, this enhanced effectiveness to, to advertisers. Um, and I'm not sure we've we've never we, we've completely seen that realised. Um, uh, but I think in five years' time we could be seeing some really really exciting stuff. 
Okay, in terms of like getting you nailed down for a prediction then, we've mentioned around like the, the death of cookies is, is going to happen. If you're a betting man, when do you think that's going to happen? When is Google going to pull the plug and say, right, no more cookies? <laughs> that's the golden question, isn't it? Um, look, when were they supposed to do it originally? Two years ago? Yeah. Um, uh, I think, let, look, let, in five years' time, it will, uh, the, the cookie will have died. There you go. That would be my... My prediction. Okay, there we go. <laughs> Whether it's going to take a whole five years or two years, I don't know. It's down. We've got you. Got you now to now uh, down. To yeah, come back to me in five years' time. Yeah. Um, okay. So, uh, anything else? Final questions now. So, anything else you'd like to to mention? That anything else you want to add? Uh, do you know what? I think we've covered some some pretty good ground there. And in I think that's a good fifty five minutes. I think people yeah. are probably probably done by now. <laughs> It's a good, good conversation. Really, really interesting, and I particularly um, like the conversations around the the inspiration, like Night Rider and Frosties. Oh yeah, brought me back to a happier day. Good times, wasn't it? So, uh, other than other than David Hasselhoff, would there be any other people you'd like to see on this in this podcast going forward? Um, so, who would be uh, who would be great to hear on this podcast? But have you done Jay from Planet V yet? I think uh, he's got a lot of good stuff to talk about. Awesome, but I'll definitely speak to him, and we'll, we'll block out a whole afternoon for chatting through with uh, him about Planet V. Yeah, I, th- I think that would be it'd be worth time. They're doing some exciting stuff, so yeah, chat to Jay. Well, Matt, thank you so much for your time. It's been a great conversation with you. Uh, pleasure as always to chat through things with you, all things measurement. Loved it. Love, love chat and measurement anytime. Thanks, Ben. Thanks very much. Thanks again to Matt for joining us on Identity Architects. That was an awesome conversation and personally I can't believe it took 38 episodes of Identity Architects to get a David Hasselhoff reference into the podcast. All that leaves for me to do is to remind you to hit that subscribe button so you know when the next episode of Identity Architects lands. But until then, thanks for listening.